Coming up on the next episode of Talking Cannabis with Dr. Tina Stevenson. How do we educate children about medical cannabis? It's not a question of if we should do it. It's a question of how we should do it. Join us next. Welcome to this episode of Talking Cannabis with Dr. Tina Stevenson. I'd like to welcome today our very, very special guest, Ashley Wynn Grimes. Ashley Wynn Grimes, she is an endocannabinoid specialty nurse practicing here in the state of Maryland. She is also a children's author, advocate of all things holistic, and I am very glad to have the opportunity to speak with her today. We're going to open up the floor. How are you, Ashley? Hey there. How are you? I'm real good. Welcome, and thank you for being a part of this show. Sure. So I just wanted to start off. Um, I came across you uh, at the local dispensary, and I saw there was a beautiful children's book sitting there. Mm-hmm. And I said, I've got to get in touch with this author to talk about because it's such a, t- a touchy subject, talking about cannabis with children. Mm-hmm. Not, not only is cannabis such a new thing, yeah. um, but let alone talking to children about it. And I know you have a lot of experience, not only with the book, but also working with the public school system mm-hmm. and doing some expansion of curriculum and programming and, and legislation. So I want to talk to you about that, too. So let's talk about the book and how the book came about. So it was actually in direct relation with some of the advocacy work that I had been doing. So I reached out to a policymaker uh, probably in 2018 or 19 and never heard back from him, but he reached back out to me in 2020 when a work group was being put together. And that work group was to build the guidelines for the bill, Connor and Raina's Law, that had recently passed. I think it was in January of 2020 that year. Or, yeah, duh. But January of 2020. And the work group needed a subject matter expert on medical cannabis. So it was the Maryland State Department of Education, um, the MMCC, and all the, the key players that would come together to build anything for the school system. And they just needed somebody to be able to speak to cannabis as medicine. So I was asked to join. Um, and it was really interesting to be honest with you, um, just to see all of the detail that went into what, how those guidelines are built. A lot of times when we see this stuff, we kind of look through and we're like, well, I don't really care about that. But I mean, a lot of work goes into that stuff, but, um, you know, the time working on it was very interesting. I learned a lot from it. Um, I think they are very, very well written. And if anybody has any questions about those guidelines is easily accessible online. Um, but I walked away just kind of feeling like here we have these guidelines, but what about the, the social impact? What about the children? You know, now this now a child can come to school and take their medicine, but should that child have to keep it a secret? You know, um, will the other children he interacts with treat him a certain kind of way, him or her a certain kind of way? Um, how will the teachers interact with that child? Um, and then the school nurses, how will the school nurse interact with that child? 
So, um, and, and this is just something that came naturally to me because I'm a nurse and I'm thinking about the patient and then everything the child has been through um, and then how they interact with the world beyond that. And I'm a mom too. So I could just imagine my, my daughter coming home and saying, mom, there's a kid who takes you know medical cannabis, what's that or whatever. And I'm sure that you know we want these children have to have one a good quality of life, which is why they're able to likely return to school. That's likely the situation, and um, we want them to be able to feel as normal as possible, considering that they are probably very abnormal. Yeah. So, yeah. so the the children's book Aces Medicine. It's a beautifully illustrated and written book. Mm -hmm. um, what age group are you really targeting and how young is too young to really understand cannabis? I think this this is just, this is an opinion. So um, I think there is no age too young for anybody to learn anything. I, I think that, I mean, if we understand childhood development, you learn the most, you absorb the most from the outside world by the time you're six and it starts to slow down as they get older. So um, beginning to have conversations about life and the things that they'll encounter, I think is important. And even providing them with concepts and what they mean, I think is important. And that's just the way that I raise my children. Um, so, and you know, I'll just step away from sex. Another taboo topic, I mean, I said sex, but another taboo topic is sex, um, which is likely comparable to the concept of cannabis. Mm -hmm. We talk about, you know, sex. They understand the word vagina. They, you know, for a long time, um, like in the 90s, we, we would call the vagina different, you know, pet names or whatever. And what, what people have started realizing is that now they don't really know what their body parts are, so they don't even know how to communicate about their body parts. So just giving them the language to be able to have conversations um, with people I think is very important for children. I think that in 2020, the the language that they have in general is like beyond anything that I would have been aware of as a child. Like my six-year-old has, they, they list off the different steps, the practice, the, um, it was some other step. And then the last one was dictation. I'm like, why does a six-year-old know dictation? But we can say dictation to them, you know, that's, that's a concept that um, could seem complicated to some, but we're not allowed to talk about cannabis or marijuana or the differences between the two or um, give them another perspective about cannabis beyond it's bad. I don't know, like, that's just the way I think about it, so. And, and you know, I think that I, when I'm looking at education, we're looking at it on like two levels, on a smaller scale, on a micro level, within the home, mm -hmm. you know, we can talk about cannabis mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the intrinsic meaning for, for the family. Yeah. For example, an individual who may be a patient. Mm -hmm. But then when you look at the larger educational system, the macro level, it's not supported. There mm -hmm. needs to be a massive education uh, campaign for mm -hmm. cannabis and the positivities about about cannabis on billboards, yeah. on, in magazines, mm -hmm. and Baltimore's Child, and even in some parts of curriculum, yeah. in health curriculum in the school. But until it's it all comes together, mm -hmm. it's going to be segmented in terms of well, in my home, you know, this I is say what this. we do. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's so true. Um, and I, I agree with you. But part of the problem is the masses, the masses don't understand cannabis completely. So it's hard to give um, any streamlined messaging to the public at this point. So. Right, because we're still battling with the whole scheduling issue mm -hmm. and the perception of it as a drug versus a medicine. Yeah. And we still have a little bit of ways to go. Yeah, mm -hmm. very true. So starting young is, is very important. I want to talk a little bit about the, um, the HB guidelines. Can you go very specifically and how that developed into Connor's Law and, and what, what does that actually um, mean and do and... Yeah. Um, so House Bill 617 of 2020 was the bill that came through and it was um, named after Connor and Raina. So those are two children in Maryland who, um, who suffer from chronic illness and the only way they could find some relief was through medical cannabis. So their families advocated and fought for that bill. I didn't participate in that. Um, once that bill was released though, then you have to have some kind of structure for the school system to follow in order to implement the law. So the guidelines is the, are the criteria for the school systems to follow um, to demonstrate that they are implementing this into our school systems. Um, meaning that, let's say for example, Connor or Raina want, need to take their medicine in school, there is some sort of um, uh, guideline for them to refer, fall back on or refer to to say, okay, now I can access my medicine on school grounds, these are the people who can do it um, under these circumstances. And that's basically what the guidelines do. And then from there, each of the school systems have to develop their own policies around how they're going to implement those guidelines. So that's the way it works. I the, I've only gotten to the point of uh, participating with the, the guidelines, and then now the school systems are actively looking for ways to make sure that they um, have their policies in place. Mm -hmm. So, so the law basically states that children who are medical cannabis patients can have access to their medicine in schools and it can be administered by a nurse as opposed to uh it used to be where the parent would have to come take mm -hmm. the child off of the ground mm -hmm. give them their medicine and then send them back into the school building yeah they don't like to say it's a nurse um they like to call it a designated provider a designated <laughs> provider yes so it doesn't have to be a school nurse. No. It could be anybody an that adult. they designate as the provider or the caregiver of that child, and That's they have good. to register with the um, commission. That's good news. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't just have to be. So what that does is it it allows them to have access to their medication on site. Is there anything in the the law or the guidelines that says that we must educate? Uh, no. Stakeholders, staff, administrators, parents. Well, I think it says generally, yeah, I think it does say generally to educate, but there's no like definition behind what that means. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's something else that probably, um, and, it, and it will look different probably for each school district. Yeah, it, most likely. Um, I know right now Baltimore County is coming up with their, their policies, and I guess that will determine what their education will look like from there. Mm -hmm. um, and that's only because I'm in Baltimore County. My children go to Baltimore County schools. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know where other schools are. I know that um, 
I think it was Connor. I think he lives in Harford County, so most likely they're a little further ahead than Baltimore County will be. Yeah. Um, but who knows? I was wondering if you've seen evidence of this working yet from what, 20, 2020? Mm -hmm. It's a little early, but I was wondering if you've seen any. Well, so we were, we were out during the pandemic, so 2020 to 2021, the kids weren't in school. Mm -hmm. um, but the children were allowed to be administered the medicine on school grounds by their parents. So they didn't have to be take, taken off of school grounds anymore. Once that law came into place, they were allowed to stay on school grounds, take their medicine, and then that was it. Um, and that was just an accommodation that was written, in, I think it was written into the bill to allow those children who have been fighting for you know multiple years to get the, the law put in place. So they did give them that accommodation. Mm -hmm. That's very good. Mm -hmm. um, how important is it for us to begin to educate children about cannabis? Um, well, so we're in, the world is changing. Mm -hmm. uh, the way that we look at things is just changing generally. Um, you know, I, I talk about cannabis and that's what I know and understand, but it's in the realm of just understanding that the way that we view different systems is shifting. Mm -hmm. um, so, which means it's super important that we talk to them about it because the rules and the laws that we're making today aren't really gonna affect us as much as it's gonna affect them. Um, there's a lot of lag time before you see the impact of what would you do in the legal system today versus 10 to 15, 20 years from now, um, which means my daughter's 11, so 10, she's going to be an adult, a working adult at that point. Um, so entering into the workforce and, you know, what her experiences have been going through 2020, being more exposed to technology than any other generation. Um, you know, she's, she's going to be the one that's going to be driving forward any of these things that we're creating today. Her and, you know, all of her generation, of course. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's the earlier, the better. Mm -hmm. Everything developmentally appropriate. Yeah. You know, there's a way that we can introduce ideas to young people. Mm -hmm. based on Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that was why I wrote it in children's book form, too. Um, a lot. Some people may get offended by this, but um, the average adult doesn't read beyond the eighth grade reading level, mm. um, and that was kind of why I wrote it in children's book forms because it is targeted towards children in that age group. It's written um, at that level, but it's easy enough for adults to understand as well. So it's duly educating um, both populations. So, and that's true because when I read it. And uh, I see other adults um, in the uh, medical dispensary reading the book as well. Mm -hmm. And it's like, um, it's not, it doesn't feel um, like you're reading a Dr. Seuss book, for example. Yeah. It really feels like you're learning. It's a story mm -hmm. and, you're, and it flows and you really are enjoying it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I very much appreciated it. Thank you. How can people get your book? You can get it on Amazon. That's the easiest way. Most people buy their books on Amazon, but I have them on my website as well, www.cannabisnursingsolutionsllc.com. Um, you can do a Google search, ACEs Medicine, and then put children's book after it if you want to do the Google search because ASA is actually an acronym for aspirin. 
in the medical world. Mm. So if you type in ASA, that's what you'll get. So you have to do ACES Medicine Children's Book. And um, it's on multiple websites. It's in Target, Barnes & Noble, wherever they want to buy it from. That's great. Congratulations. Thank I'm you. I'm very proud of you Thanks. for that. Um, now, I wanted to talk a little bit about the kind of support that, um, well, I say cannabis nursing. Mm -hmm. I, I see a lot of that in the literature. Mm -hmm. and I see it. You know, I just bought a book, uh, Dosing for Cannabis Nursing. Yeah. But the endocannabinoid specialty are in. Yeah. I like that better. Tell me about that and uh, a little bit about your business. So I came up with it because, okay, there are a lot of different specialties in nursing, right? So let's take a, um, a, a cardiac nurse. We call them a cardiac nurse because cardiac is the system that they specialize in and they administer medications like cardizem to treat specific you know, disease processes, right? Um, you're not going to call that nurse a cardizem nurse. The medicine is the cannabis. The endocannabinoid system is what you're treating, and it goes beyond cannabis. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of people don't think about it, or they try to ignore it because they don't want to do it, but the exercise goes into it, nutritional factors, just general lifestyle, um, uh, uh, ways of being go into balancing your endocannabinoid system. Mm -hmm. And the introduction of cannabis as a tool which is what it should be a tool, not a crutch or anything like that, um, should be just that. It should just be a tool. Um, for some people, they may need to use it long term, um, but in others, maybe short term or even once and that's it. Um, and with the application of those other lifestyle modifications. Um, in nursing, we tend, like in the hospital setting, we're like, you know, they need a lifestyle change, lifestyle modification, and we say, go exercise, and what does that mean, or did they actually do it? Probably not, because they don't want to, because that's hard, like, getting up when you don't feel like going to the gym, it's hard, it's hard for me. So, to expect somebody who's not well to feel like wanting to do those things might be unrealistic for them. So, as an endocannabinoid specialist, you understand those facts and you take those into consideration to help them to get to the, the highest quality or the highest level of homeostasis that's possible for them based on what they've done previously and where they can go in the future based on goals. Mm -hmm. So that's why I choose that terminology. I think that is actually um, a more professional term um, to use because of the fact that we do it for every other specialty in nursing, so why not right here too? It's a medicine. Let's yeah. treat it that, like that. And it's part of your business um, to yeah. help educate people about the differences between it being a medicine and just something that you use to just get high with? Yeah. So the business, and you know, I've been working on my mission statement. Somebody told me somewhere that I have to have a solid mission statement, so I've been working on that um, very firmly. So it is to empower nurses and healthcare professionals to um, look beyond just the way the systems are today and to understand that they can help transition the, the way that we look at health and healthcare today through holistic medicine, spirituality, and that includes cannabis. So, um, and that includes the books, right? I'm in the process of writing a, a nonfiction book. Mm -hmm. 
Um, it includes a training course that offers contact hours. Um, and I've just recently expanded that to allow other nurses to be the instructors for that course. So giving them opportunities to um, uh, develop themselves as subject matter experts in the area. And it also includes um, coaching and you know just general support. I offer a, a mastermind group where we sit there and we don't just sit there, but we discuss and we support each other and um, you know, it's a chance for people to kind of talk about the things that they're frustrated about and to receive support from other people who are maybe going through similar things. So I do that every other week. Um, that's something that's totally free that, um, you know, that I just think is needed because uh, this really is an evolution of healthcare. And like I said before, the way things are today is not gonna be the way they're gonna be in 10 or 15 years. So everybody's going through this shift. They just probably don't realize it yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, even just the discovery of the endocannabinoid system from the 90s, mm -hmm. you know, and look how far we've come Absolutely. today. I mean, we still have a long way to go in terms of understanding its impact. I'm, I'm learning now about how the uh, endocannabinoid system and the endocrine system work together mm -hmm. for anxiety and fear and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it all, you know, it works together. Um, and also with the diet and other things, how can we stay on top? How, how did you learn about, learn so much about cannabis? Um, I mean, it started with the concepts. Um, there's terpenes and, you know, there's linalol and there's, is, you know, lemonine and all that kind of stuff. Um, the cannabinoids, there's over 116 cannabinoids, and the endocannabinoid system, which is a receptor system. So when you string all these ideas together and everything else I know about, you know, healthcare in general, like taking care of patients, um, what they do and don't do, uh, like just different details that I can't explain why I know them, I just know them because I've been doing it for so long. Um, <laughs> It it uh it just kind of it just clicks for me. Yeah. You know, I somebody had asked for a professional to ask the question of the the article was to discuss why people are choosing to smoke lavender. Well, for me, like just critically thinking through that, linalol is also the terpene that's found in lavender. Mm -hmm. That's why they're choosing to smoke lavender because they're getting the effects of the terpene. And, um, you know, just, just little connections like that over time, I've just kind of fine-tuned and honed in, and mm -hmm. um, it, it's just become like second language to me almost at this point. So um, I think I've been doing this for about three years so far. Uh, I've, I've had my first, I took my first training course, I think it was in October of 2018. And um, it's just been a matter of, and I, and I do this regularly. I'm, I'm an organizer, I take thoughts and I, I do that. Like I worked in process improvement um, and without any experience, I walked into that, that um, area of healthcare and it was like, wow, like this is what I'm good at. This is great, you know? So I, it's just something that's innate to me. So 
Yeah. And it's like once you know one thing, you build upon that and then you begin to learn other mm-hmm. avenues as it, well. And when people talk to you and ask you questions mm-hmm. and um, you find yourself in certain situations where you didn't know something or whatever, of course you're going to go and you're going to look and find out about it. You're like, oh, light bulb. Okay, this is great. And, and you learn more because now you have to know everything about it because if they ask you again, you got to get it right. right. <laughs> yes, you do. And it's good as a practitioner yeah. to, to understand these things and how they help for our, our endo systems. Um, and, and when we put, when we smoke, when we vape, when we mm-hmm. take tinctures or however we administer, that's the exogenous portion of the cannabis, how does that impact the naturally occurring system that we already have on the inside? Right, right. Mm-hmm. And, and the method of consumption, it matters. You know, mm-hmm. the duration and the onset, that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what what you're choosing to consume or how you're choosing to consume it. It, just, it, it all matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, again, it goes beyond just the cannabis plant. You know, it goes to our food. Like, what is in our food? You have a label on your food. You look at the label. Most people don't, but they should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> look at the label on their food and see what it is that they're putting into their body and be aware of it. Um, and there there's whole classes on nutrition labels why not on the cannabis product labels? It's just, you know, it's, it's just so disconnected at this point. Right. Well, you know, on the subject of, of professional uh, practitioners, are, are nurses just automatically learning this in their education processes? And is there a, a team of nurses or a support association of nurses that come together around this specific topic? Yeah, there are um, different organizations out there. Uh, it, it depends on what your your interests or, you know, how you align with each of them. But um, I guess the I guess the mothership of organizations would be the American Cannabis Nurses Association. Um, but the reality is that all of the organizations Cannabis Nurses of Color, Cannabis Nurses Network, they're, they're in their infancy by way of, um, you know, offering that type of support. So if I had to guess how many people participate as a, as a name three um, in those three organizations, I would guess across the country, maybe 1,500, 1,500 to 2,000. And I might be stretching it um, because there isn't enough education for nurses out here. Uh, most school systems don't teach about cannabis. Um, hospitals choose not to touch on the subject as well. So um, if they are aware of it, it's because they probably have their own personal love for the plant or it saved their life in some way or it's harmed them in some way. So um, that's probably their first introduction. And it's unfortunate that hospitals, in particular ER departments, don't have an understanding because of cannabis hyperemetrous syndrome. Mm-hmm. Hyperemetrous syndrome, I believe that's how it's pronounced. But where you can actually overdose off of cannabis. Mm-hmm. And it has the same symptoms of, say, a, a panic attack or um, a nervous breakdown mm-hmm. that you would see in the hospital. But they. The first thing they go through, they spend lots of money on unnecessary tests mm-hmm. when all they have to do is just take a urine test mm-hmm. and see. just ask a few questions mm-hmm. to the patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, actually, I, I don't see it as an overdose. I, um, I think it's more of an overconsumption. An overdose 
in my opinion, uh, when you overdose on heroin, you will die, <laughs> you know? Um, so, because every medicine has side effects, mm -hmm. and if you take too much, you'll experience the side effects. Yes. Um, so, again, if you go to the ER and they don't know what questions to ask, mm -hmm. if they're unaware of how to assess the patient, um, to give a focused care plan so you don't have to do the unnecessary testing, um, then you will probably get a little bit further um, and wouldn't use as much of the hospital's resources and use up all the patient's resources and time. Um, and being as though the ER metrics are largely focused on how fast you can get them in and get them out, um, you would think that they would like want to learn more about how they could more effectively identify these patients on the front end. Mm -hmm. um, so, I also wanted to mention about cannabis hypermesis syndrome. Um, the literature shows that there are also some other cofactors that go along with that overconsumption. Mm -hmm. It could have been um, maybe the alcohol content that mm -hmm. was co-administered with it mm -hmm. that just by itself will not cause um, some of these adverse effects. Yeah, um, yeah. I I don't know. I, the literature isn't really clear and succinct to me, so I, I really don't feel comfortable speaking too much on it, but I do feel like there is a lot more to learn about what and why that happens. Because, I, because I've heard where people have taken cannabis all of their life, right? They've built up this tolerance, or not all of their life, but most of their adult life. And they've built up this tolerance, and then all of a sudden you're 45, and all of a sudden now you're, you're experiencing this hyperemesis. Um, and that's how you pronounce it, by the way. <laughs> no problem. Um, uh, that's now all of a sudden they're um, experiencing this. And then there are people who take CBD, which people are, think is harmless, and they're still experiencing the hyperemesis. So you wouldn't necessarily see it um, on a urine profile because they're not testing for CBD necessarily, they're just testing for THC. So um, I'm not sure what the best way to approach it is, but I do think there's value in um, giving our practitioners some a skill set of being able to communicate with their patients. So that way they can say, okay, you know, you're going to have to cut this out of your diet all the way, which is something we talk about with patients who don't experience hyperemesis anyway. I'm taking this medicine and I'm not feeling, I don't, I'm not getting the symptom relief I'm looking for. Okay, well you need to reset for 48 hours. That's something that you can do with these patients to see, okay, is it the cannabis or no? Is there something else that's going on that you need to cut out of your, your lifestyle or your diet or no? Like, we don't know. And I think it all is in the assessment mm -hmm. and having a clear tool, a standardized tool that perhaps that we could use in, mm -hmm. in those emergency type settings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so how do you talk to your children about cannabis? Um, should you, should your children see you using cannabis? Um, if they smell it, if you're smoking it, um, I know the Poison Control Center had uh, an increase in their, their cases during mm -hmm. 2020 um, in edibles mm -hmm. um, because, uh, well, it was, it could have been due to um, the edibles and the 
like the brownies and the cookies that are THC infused may look like the regular brownies that mom or grandma made. Mm -hmm. So they, they are, you know, they don't understand why the numbers went up, but they're just assuming that because we were home and, and the pandemic, mm -hmm. and perhaps there was a little more access right. to these things on the children's behalf. So where do we begin with that conversation? First of all, lock y'all stuff up. <laughs> like, keep it out of their reach. Like, you wouldn't have your Dilaudid or your Oxycodone sitting on the table. <laughs> You're like, you don't do that. So um, treat it as medicine and put it away. Uh, it comes in, um, the, the medicine, if you get it from a dispensary, comes in childproof. Uh, cases. I know people like to make up their own butters and their own, you know, medication, you know, uh, brownies and all those kind of things, which is fine. But again, put it in high places, keep it in a childproof container, and you probably won't see these problems. I, I remember in the 90s, they would put a Mr. Yuck sticker on, on the, you know, the dangerous chemicals. And mm -hmm. I guess that worked because they kept doing it all throughout the 90s. So we do those things do those safety like basic safety things when it comes to your children um because you'll never know when they want to explore uh and it looks appealing but <laughs> but i think that they're okay so smoking i don't smoking is not allowed in front of my children because i don't want to um First of all, we're, we don't know about the, the secondhand smoke as it relates to it. Um, so it's always a, a health concern of, for my children. Um, the other piece of it is I don't like the smell of it in my house. So not there either. And then, uh, but at the same time, letting them know that it exists, I think is age appropriate. Um, giving them terminology and concepts I also think is age appropriate and also letting them know that um, there are ways to misuse cannabis right so just like your oxycodone you take it for your pain it should be short-term most likely um, but it, it can become a dependency a habit an addiction and it can cause all of these consequences in people's lives. And it can be used as medicine for after surgery, you know, during, uh, I don't know, having a spinal injury or whatever. So there are, for me, the dual perspective, I think, is important for anything that comes to um, to give them a balanced look at the way the world works. Like to come up with this opinion that anything is good or anything is bad, I just think is irresponsible. Um, and I hope nobody takes that the wrong way, but I do um, because every a lie is can be bad but sometimes, and that's why we have these like these debates, like it can be necessary, you know, from a holistic perspective, right? Um, so if my opinion is that, give them a dual perspective, give them the terminology to communicate about it, uh, communicate about their questions about it. Um, and I don't see anything wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And I agree. And just like with every other uh issue or 
um, label or what have you in our society. Mm -hmm. We have to prepare our, our children somehow to, to be tolerant or mm -hmm. to, to understand what these things are going on. Right. Everyone's right to choose. Mm -hmm. And that's their right to use cannabis as a medicine. Mm -hmm. Just like it's every other person's right to live their lifestyle in mm -hmm. a way that we may personally may not agree with. Right. But understanding that it's the right of the person. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Creating that, that tolerance. Um, with it, and I'm finding that it's the older folks that are more resistant mm -hmm. to, um, you know, understanding how important cannabis can be as a medicine. Yeah, I think that that's largely because they grew up in the '80s, and I mean that was when they initiated the war on drugs. That's when you, I mean, if you grew up in the hood, you probably watched a few people get carted off behind. Uh, weed or 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 crack or whatever so like there's a little bit of trauma associated with that whether they realize it or not and um, the fact that we're sitting here in 2020 talking about cannabis is medicine it's like but wait <laughs> wait a minute like I remember back in 1982 when cousin Jojo got pulled out my house in a raid for smoking a, a joint you know so I, I get why they may find resistance, but what's also interesting is that our baby boomers are actually the largest growing population of consumers mm -hmm. because they were back, the, you know, back in the 70s, right, when they were in, um, in college and in their early 20s, they were using it because it was acceptable then. And then when we hit the, the 80s, that's when we hit, saw this change in the way we looked at it and then 90s into the 2000s it's like oh okay well I did it somebody told me it was bad so now it has to be bad forever and now we're like nope it's good <laughs> yeah interesting enough it is a rising consumer population yeah yeah well it's very interesting I wanted to ask you um as we wrap up our conversation today I am so thankful that you joined us. We, we, we went over an array of topics. Yeah, we did. You're such a diverse young lady, and I wish you all the best. Oh, thank you. But I want, I want you to just tell the audience, um, give a message. Uh, it could be to, to the healthcare community. It could be to parent community, to, to whoever you want to, to let them know what, is, should we ex what should we be looking forward to related to cannabis medicine. Um, I think that... I think that in Maryland specifically, we are likely going to see recreational cannabis come here in the next year, maybe two, but I think in the next year. Um, so it's not going away, whether you, if you wanted to or not. If you don't talk to your child today about cannabis, you'll probably talk to them tomorrow. Um, for our healthcare community, I think the same thing goes, applies. It's not going anywhere. Your patients are choosing to consume it. Um, it's best that you at least be aware to have conversation with them, just like you would a STD, as uncomfortable as it is. Um, you should participate in that and be open, open and um, non-judgmental, which is part of our role and responsibility anyway. So, um, to make it more concise, cannabis is not going anywhere. Yes. Thank you very much, Ashley Wynn Grimes, for joining us today. I'm very honored that you took the time to be with us. Thank you very much. Of course.
I want to thank you for joining me on this episode of Talking Cannabis with Dr. Tina Stevenson. It was a pleasure talking with my guest and sharing with the audience uh, various ways that we can begin to incorporate education talk about cannabis for all age groups. I would encourage you to please support um, Ashley's book called ACES Medicine. And in summary, it's ACES first day at a new school in a new state. And just like any third grader, he worries about making new friends and being accepted. And just like any child who has an illness, he needs to make sure he takes his medicine on time. After getting teased, Asa gets a rare opportunity to teach his friends about his unique medicine while he learns an important lesson too. So Asa's medicine is a story designed to teach children, parents, and school staff about acceptance and medical equality. And I would encourage uh, administrators and educators to support this book and begin to implement it in our various programs and curriculums within our schools and after-school programs in our doctor's offices um, and as part of our education programs community-wide. And again, thank you for participating and listening to Talking Cannabis with Dr. Tina Stevenson. Peace and release.